as entrepreneurs, we all want to make a difference. We are all, though, so charging ahead. We're working on the business. We are charging ahead. We're missing so much of what's going on in life that can provide us the energy to be even more successful, to make a difference. Today, I am very privileged, and you are with me, to have a remarkable entrepreneur who's been on a journey of gaining a great understanding of how we can be all that we're capable of being, of making that difference. He is a Hindu priest, an internationally renowned speaker, and a very successful entrepreneur who is helping some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, both large and small, make a difference. You do not want to miss this. Soar beyond your dreams. AESNation.com Dan Apani, I, I am so excited to have you here with me today. Uh, you are a truly remarkable in, individual and entrepreneur, and I really want to share your message with our audience. So first of all, thank you for joining us. Thank you, John. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on your show. Well, you and I met at Jason Gennard's Mastermind Talk. We were kind of both at the event. You were one of the top speakers there, and we just had the chance to visit a little bit. And I was just, you know, you were sharing some of your backstory and the difference you're now making. And it's been both a journey to get to where you are, and, and you've got some great lessons that you've been sharing with so many successful entrepreneurs that I wanted to bring our audience, but I got to tell you, Danapani, you're the first Hindu priest that I've had on Skype for this uh, 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 podcast, and I'd, I'd love to get the backstory because I mean, you were a monk for ten years. You're an engineer, you know. This is not the and now an entrepreneur, you know, really world-renowned speaker, uh, coach, making a difference. Uh, tell us a little bit about this journey. Well, thank you again for, for having me. Um, just a quick background about myself. Uh, I'm Sri Lankan of ancestry, and hence the brown, that's my DNA. I was born in Malaysia, and my family migrated to Australia. And uh, I had wanted to be a monk since I was about four or five years old. And ever since then, it's been, it has been a quest for me to find the right teacher. And to me, that was so important. And I met many wonderful, inspiring monks and gurus and teachers along the way, but the biggest challenge I had with them was a lot of what they said was not practical and applicable in my life. They would inspire me. They would motivate me. I'd go home. I'd tell myself, I'm going to do everything they said. And I would. I would do it for about four or five days, and then all the inspiration and motivation would go away, and I would default back to who I was. And after a while, I got frustrated, and I said, I don't really want to be inspired, and I don't want to be motivated because I feel I'm quite inspired and motivated by myself. What I'm really looking for are tools, tools that I can apply in my life to make a difference in, in a sustainable change in my life. So I finally met uh, a Hindu monk who was actually born in America as an American man that con uh, converted into Hinduism and became a Hindu monk and um, decided to join his monastery in Hawaii. So after I graduated with a degree in electrical engineering in Australia, I uh, left everything behind and moved to Hawaii to live in a traditional Hindu monastery. And how it is in a monastery uh, is it's quite strict. You, you literally give up everything and everyone. I only spoke to my parents twice a year on the phone. No emails, no phone calls, never 
stayed in touch with any of my friends or relatives. And uh, it was a true renunciation. It's, it really is amazing. So many of us, you know, don't understand that life and, you know, and being removed from kind of the world. But one of the things that in uh, doing a little research for the interview uh, that became kind of interesting is that you were, your monastery was a little different. Everybody had a, a MacBook you know, and, yeah, and you looked every... at and watched the news for 30 minutes every day. What, how, you know, so what I love is, you know, really taking the time and we're, we're going to go into it as entrepreneurs where, you know, there's so much noise in the world that isolating yourself, uh, really giving you a chance to understand who you are, but then with those lessons that you're learning, you know, unfortunately, so many monks don't share that with the rest of the world. You, you had a different order. Yes, uh, every monk that came to the monastery got a set of ropes, a set of beads, and a macro probe. And uh, we, we had to learn how to program monks, learn HTML, CSS, JavaScript. We, <laughs> we learned Photoshop and InDesign and Illustrator. We, we can edit movies on Final Cut Pro and... Uh, you know, just just give us a Mac and we can do anything for you. I think uh, we also learn finance. We learn how to create endowments to invest money. Uh, we had two endowments that grew from zero to now, that started at zero and now has grown up to about 11 or $12 million. Um, so my guru was a very savvy entrepreneur monk. And um, rather than stay separate from the world, we realized that we're living in the world and the world's not a bad place. Uh, it's actually a beautiful place, and we chose to um, look at all of these things, the Mac, the iPhones that the monks had, uh, as tools. The same way that we were trained to look at our mind as a tool as well, and that's one of the big trainings that we got in the monasteries, looking at ourselves and looking at ourselves as a tool. And how can we understand this tool as well as possible so that we can live the most effective life possible on this planet. No, that that is great. And and tell tell me, you know, so you're you're a monk in Hawaii, ten years. You're a MacBook Pro. You know, the, you're out, you're doing learning all kinds of amazing things, and you made the decision to go in a different direction. How yes. how did that happen? Yeah, my unfortunately, my teacher died three years after I joined the monastery. And uh, it was kind of a big changing point in the monastery and quite a few months left. I stayed seven more years. And at that point, I felt the monastery and I were going in slightly different directions. So when my vows came up for renewal, I decided not to renew them. And uh, normally, there's a severance package for long-serving months. Uh, they buy you a plane ticket home. And I did not want to go back to West Australia. And my guru actually told me a long time ago, a monk should never return to the place from which he came from. So I decided to move to the mainland, and Los Angeles was the closest point of entry, and my severance package was my, my ropes, my beads. They gave me $1,000 cash and a MacBook Pro and a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. So I, I landed at LAX at midnight, uh, checked into a backpacker motel in Santa Monica, roomed with six German backpackers for a few days, and that was the strangest thing, six Germans and a, and a monk in a room. That sounds like a joke. And then, the, you know, the next day I went out and uh, bought things that all of you have, you know, pants and shoes and belts and got an email address and I opened a bank account. And, and my, my goal was that, you know, I wanted to share what I had learned in the monastery. And also, I didn't want to borrow a single cent from anybody. 
I said, I can do this on my own. I felt I had all the training and the tools I needed. My goal was to actually apply them now in the real world and, and create the life I want to create. So I thought, where better a place for an ex-monk than New York City? It's the perfect ashram. It's the perfect monastery in the world to put all the tools into practice. So one of the big things, John, you know, people would come to the monastery and we would share, as monks, we would share with them some of these teachings. Mm-hmm. One of the first responses to us was, you don't know what it's like to live in New York. You don't know what it's like to live in London or Shanghai or Berlin, to have a job, to have a family. You don't understand. You're a monk. You live in this peaceful monastery in paradise in Hawaii. So for me, it's, I can live these tools here in New York City and still create the life I want. And it's... My life is to be a, a living proof that these tools work. Well, and and I know you are doing it well. And I want to get to the lessons, but I, I, you know, for the benefit of our viewers who have are watching the video versus the audio, Dandapani, uh, you have uh, three lines, uh, white lines on your forehead. Maybe just share the significance of that, because I think it's pretty. You know, it's an interesting story. Plus, it's important to you, and it really leads into life lessons that we're going to be talking about. Yes, for sure. So uh, when I left the monastery, I'm no longer a monk, but technically I'm a Hindu priest. So as a Hindu priest, uh, I can get married, I can be an entrepreneur, I can work and earn money and, and do all the things that all of you do. Uh, but this is a traditional dress and, and makeup, so you could say, of a, of a Hindu priest. The first line at the bottom of my forehead represents the ego. And quite often in spirituality, people say that you should renounce your ego, give it up. We don't believe that. We believe that everybody has an ego. The goal is to cultivate a positive ego, to be kind, to be generous, and all these positive qualities that everybody, a lot of people would like to embody. The second line represents your karma, which is the law of cause and effect. Simply stated, it's if you're able to control your actions and reactions, you can truly control how your future unfolds. Quite often people are overcome by the emotions and their emotions dictate quite often the actions and reactions to people and things around them. So having control over that allows us to determine how our future unfolds. And the third line represents maya, the Sanskrit word of delusion, uh, which we take the perspective that quite often in life people get caught up with people and things that don't really matter and forget the people and things that truly do matter in your life. You know, we get caught up with the celebrities and what they're doing and what they're wearing as opposed to what's our children wearing and what are they doing and what's our spouse doing and the people that we love, our friends that we love. Um, and this, you know, kind of leads into the next topic, you know, one of the topics that we're going to talk about today, John, which is the concept of managing your energy, right? And the premise that there's only a finite amount of energy each day and we want to wisely invest that energy. It's a, it's a limited resource, and we want to wisely invest that energy in people and things. So the third line, knowing who and what's important in your life, is so crucial when you only have a finite resource. Now let's well let's dive into and let's go with the energy as the first one. Yeah. Uh, you know, you you're out there working with so many CEOs, so many fellow entrepreneurs. And one of the things that you are so good at is coaching entrepreneurs on managing their energy. And, and you know, there is no lack of uh, things that can suck energy out of an entrepreneur. I mean, you're, you're you know, just 
I, I was talking with a good friend yesterday who's an entrepreneur and he's got multiple issues going on in his family. They're a little challenging. He's got some business challenges, some health challenges. And, you know, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and we've all been there. How yes. do we manage our energy so that, you know, we don't let it, you know, just, I mean, when you lose energy, your effectiveness is gone. Well, for me, the, one of the first things to do, I think, as an entrepreneur, I always tell entrepreneurs to take the perspective, this perspective. Treat, and treat energy the same way you treat money. When you spend, no matter how much money you have, you only have a finite amount of money, right? Nobody has an infinite amount of money, no matter how wealthy you are. And when you spend money, most of the time, you think, Am I going to spend $10 on this? Am I going to spend $200 on this? Am I going to spend $1,000 on this? You think about it before you spend. So I always ask entrepreneurs, why don't you think about where you're investing your energy throughout the day? If you think of the concept that we only have a finite amount of energy each day, and every time we engage with someone or something, we're spending a little bit of that energy, by the end of the day, you're not going to have any energy left. The questions that I ask when I spend energy is, what's my return on my investment on this energy? If I'm going to give my energy to someone, I want to know what they're going to do with it. The same way if I asked all your audience and I said to them, I'm starting a new company. I need some investment money. You know, I need $2,000 from everyone. If I had $2,000 from 100 people, I'll have enough to begin this whole project. How many people would write me a check for $2,000 without asking any questions? Most people would want to know, right? Where's the money going? What's your business plan? What are you going to do with it? All these questions. The same way you Am I ever ask... going to get my $2,000 back? <laughs> right. Exactly. The same way we should ask our question when we invest our energy in people and things around us. This is why. Because... In our life, we have things that are important to us. So you may have a spouse that you love, children that you love, your business that you love. And these things are definitely higher on the priority list, right? If just say Joe comes around and Joe's an energy vampire, for example, who wants a bit of your energy, in order to give Joe, just say, 20 joules of your energy, you need to take it out of either your spouse, your business, your children, the things that you love, the people that you love. So when you're taking energy away from something or someone that you love to invest it somewhere else, you really have to ask these business questions of what my return on my investment is. I don't mind giving you a bit of my energy, but I want to know what you're going to do with it. If you're going to waste it, then I'd rather give it to the people and things that I love. And once you start taking that perspective, you're able to firstly manage your energy and what you'll find is that you'll have a lot more energy throughout the day because you're making conscious choices throughout the day of where you are choosing to invest your energy. No, I, I think this is so important and, and as entrepreneurs so often what we do is we don't really make that investment decision and you know what I find uh, the, the so many entrepreneurs they focus on kind of managing their time and I'm not a big believer in managing time. I'm with you. It's managing of energy because there Can I interrupt you and yeah. say, I, I, I like you. I'm not uh, a big believer in time management at all, but truly on energy management. Yeah, it, it is so critical. And you talk about, I just want to bring up because I, I was in some of the reading of uh, these vampires 
uh, that yes. are there. You know, give us a little of what that is and how can we protect ourselves as entrepreneurs? The number one target for energy vampires are entrepreneurs. Right? They're, they're like the number one food source for energy vampires. And the two reasons for this, one is that entrepreneurs have the ability to, to take nothing and create something, right? That's what entrepreneurs do. Uh, another thing that entrepreneurs can do is actually perpetually solve problems throughout the whole day. And that's what energy vampires are looking for. They're looking for someone who can create something in their life from nothing and solve all the problems along the way in the process of creating that something. So you have to, if you're an entrepreneur, you have to understand that when energy vampires, you have to understand that energy vampires can smell you out in a crowd. Right. And they'll come straight for you and they will ask for your energy. So there are certain tools that you can use or techniques that I use myself to protect myself. And the one simple one that you can do, and as entrepreneurs, you probably know a lot of people coming up to you asking you for advice if you're an expert in a particular field. My guru told me, a very wise monk, he said to me, never give free advice. That doesn't mean you have to charge for your advice, but he said when you give advice, at the end of your advice, always give them something to do. So don't just only give advice, give them something to do. Give them a small, simple task to do and tell them to go away and do this. Then if they come back to you two months later or three months later and ask you for more advice, the first thing you ask them is, have you done what I told you to do? And 99% of the time, the answer is no. They'll have some excuse. And that's when you respond and you say, I would love to give you the next piece of advice, but unfortunately, it's totally dependent on the first part being done. I, I love that. So complete the first part, <laughs> come back and see me, and I'll be more than happy. No, I think all of us as entrepreneurs, as you're right. telling that story, we could see the vampires that have been in our lives on occasion. And, and I think that's an unbelievably great solution that all of us should execute because you know, giving them an action to move it forward is really you know, providing advice, but an action you know, is just so valuable. And, and if they choose not to use it, then you can encourage them to use it if they come back. And if not, I mean, if they do do something, then you know, most of us really love helping other people make a difference. Exactly. Yeah, and then they will. So, I mean, that's a great way of filtering. Let, but the let, question really is, right, John, how do you discriminate between those that are going to do something with your help and those that are not going to do something with your help? And that's a big question entrepreneurs need. So you really need a, a tool, a measurement tool. And for me, it's giving a task, giving a simple task, whether they can execute it or not. And those who can execute and come back, go out of your way to help them because you know those are the people that are actually going to go away and do something with their lives and do something with the energy that you're investing in them. Uh, that That is great advice. I have never done it that way and I will do it that way going forward. It works great. Yeah, no, I could, I, I, I do. I've got a bunch of people, I won't say any names, that are going to be getting that in the next day or two. Uh, and here's another question, John. Sorry to interrupt you, but you know, I have a question for all your entrepreneur audiences. Why? How many, okay, this is my question. How many of you have energy vampires in your life right now and what's the first name that's coming to your head when i mention the word energy vampire write it down right and then the next question is why are you keeping an energy vampire as a pet you know people keep dogs cats hamsters as pets energy vampires don't make good pets so my question is why are you having them in your life right now 
Your energy is so valuable, right? As an entrepreneur, as a leader of your business, and leader of your company, a large group of people that are working under you, your energy is so precious that you need to be so conscious and wise about who and what you invested in. And the first step is really eradicating these energy vampires out of your life. Well, that really leads us to the second uh, lesson we're going to talk about is concentration and focus. I mean, we, we're, I mean, you're in New York City, okay? I'm in Silicon Valley. Uh, there are plenty of parts of the world uh, that are noise. I mean, as a matter of fact, with electronics, you have noise everywhere and yeah. all the distractions. And, you know, how do entrepreneurs really use this concentration that you talk about to be more effective? Because, you know, we've heard that and we know, you know, multitasking, you know, a hundred different things, having a million things going on, you know, isn't productive, but boy, it's hard to stay focused. It's, and this is just my personal belief and opinion. Uh, I believe that people can't concentrate for two reasons. One is nobody has been taught how to concentrate. And second is nobody practices concentration. So let me ask you a question here, John. Growing up, you grew up in the States? I did, upstate New York, okay. small town. Okay. Uh, did you have any formal classes on concentration when you were growing up? Uh, I probably had more classes on the lack of concentration than any. Right. No, I, I don't think I ever had. I've got a couple master's degrees, all kinds of other education along the way. Uh, but yeah. did anybody teach you how to concentrate? Uh, no. Okay. Did anybody ever say to you, John, concentrate on this, concentrate on that? Yeah, I, I'm going to go, I'm going to say the only time I was ever given a lesson, I was a pilot in the Navy. And it okay. was very important to stay focused on tasks during that time. So I had some pretty <laughs> good instruction. So. But other than that, no life lessons on concentration. Isn't that amazing? And then we wonder why people can't concentrate. When I was growing up, uh, People told me to concentrate all the time. Dandapani, concentrate on your homework. Dandapani, concentrate on eating your food. But nobody ever taught me how to do it. So if you don't teach someone how to do it and they don't practice it, how will they ever be good at it? So if I wanted to learn to play the piano, I need to take lessons, right? Yeah, definitely. And if I want to be really, really good, if I want to play in Juilliard, you know, like the top performances in New York, how many hours a day would you recommend I practice, John? Well, I have a, a couple of good friends who went to Juilliard, and uh, I think the 10,000 hours that everybody talks about may be low to get there. And, and just just throw me a number that you think a day. Well, I think probably an absolute minimum of four hours uh, would be, you know, if you were one of the most skilled individuals in the world. But for an average person, probably seven, eight hours a day? Right. Oh, yeah, easily. easily. So seven, eight hours a day I practice piano, just say six days a week. Do you think I'd be, I'd be playing at the highest level in a year? I, you know, the, I think you would be proficient. <laughs> I would, okay, good. Thank you for that. That was the answer I'm looking for. So imagine this, right? Imagine if I practice distraction eight hours a day, six days a week. I'm going from my Twitter to my Facebook, to my email, to my text messages, answering my calls, doing one thing, another, all day. And I practice that eight hours a day, six days a week. After six months or after a year, wouldn't I be proficient 
in being distracted. And after a year and a half, I would be an expert in distraction. After two years, I could write the New York Times bestseller on distraction. I could travel around the world. I could give keynotes on distraction. Be so distracted, I wouldn't even know what I was there to talk about. No, I have a, I'm kind of chuckling. I have a good friend who's uh, Dr. Ned Hollowell, who I interviewed earlier in a podcast. And he's written a book on distraction. And he said it wasn't very hard to research at all. <laughs> Can people actually get through the book? It, actually, it's a bestseller. So it's, it, he's awesome. been phenomenally successful and did all the TV shows and so on. And the reason for that is this is such a big problem for, I mean, it's not limited to entrepreneurs, just daily life, everyone. I mean, you know, we're seeing more and more, you know, people walking down the streets, you know, certainly in New York with their yes. you know, smartphone running into people, running into polls. I mean, it's just, all the time, yeah. right. So the way I recommend, the easiest way to learn concentration is to practice doing one thing at a time. I know it sounds so simple, but monks like to keep things simple and not complicate things. The simpler you can keep a lesson and a tool, the, more, the, the higher the chances of you actually putting it into practice in your life. So what I do to practice concentration is I do one thing at a time. When I'm speaking with my spouse, I give my spouse my undivided attention. When I'm speaking with you on Skype, I don't have my phone turned on. It's actually on airplane mode. I've got all my emails and notifications turned off. You have my undivided attention. Two things. First, you need to learn to practice concentration. And second, you need to practice it. So if, you, if concentration is something you really want to develop in your life, you have to understand the only way and the really the only way to get good at it is to practice it, to practice it in everything that you do in your life. Not just waking up in the morning and doing a five-minute meditation or a 10-minute meditation, hoping that that 10 minutes of focus will spread throughout the day. That's like eating a carrot in the morning and then eating pizzas and hamburgers throughout the whole day and expecting to be healthy. It doesn't work. It's interesting. This is something I've learned later in life how to do, and it's, it's been really effective because what I've gone ahead and done is I now have my calendar blocked two and a half hours every day. Okay. And there are different focuses, an hour and a half in the morning. I find that I'm really probably the most productive on my major goals. And I have five major goals in life. And I, I have a little uh, block here so that I will stay focused. I, I flip it over depending on the amount of time. Normally 15 minutes. What I'm is just, it? Can I ask? Pardon me? What is that? Oh, it's a little uh, timer, really. But I just set it to this, the number that I want that I'm going to stay focused and everything's turned off. I just do this. And, and the reason why I'm bringing it up, uh, there's so many distractions. The door is shut. You know, the phones are off. Do not disturb. No email. And my productivity has gone up dramatically. But also my uh, feeling of satisfaction that I help my, you know, really how productive, how I'm making things happen, the ability to provide leadership. So, I mean, this is something as entrepreneurs that, uh, Dan, you know, I mean, we just need to work on and, and and everything around us, as you were saying, is just trying to distract us. And, you know, I would always tell entrepreneurs, adopt a policy of zero tolerance for distraction policy, a zero tolerance for distraction policy. And I always ask the companies the, that I work with, I ask the CEO, you know, how many of your employees are distracted? And the answer is all of them. So if you're, if you're working eight hours a day in your company and they're distracted for five of those hours, why don't you just pay them for the three hours and tell them to go home the rest of the time? 
what a waste of money. I would never hire someone for eight hours and have them be distracted for five hours. I teach them to be concentrated so they can be focused and effective and efficient in the business. Well, and, and I'm surprised walking into so many companies that I work with how inefficient they run the company because the one thing that most company owners don't teach their employees is the concept of concentration. Well, and, you know, it's so much more satisfying for the employee as well. I mean, that's the thing that's kind yes. of crazy about this is it's not that they want to be distracted. It's just they are. And this is right. something that we can really do. Let me let me go to the next one, though. I, I yeah. want to make sure. I mean, there's so much. I mean, any of these we could spend hours on because they're right. so important. But uh, the third point you and I were talking about I, to me is the most important one. It's a life purpose, you know. So often we talk about it as a why. And you know, share share with us what have been some of your findings in talking with entrepreneurs. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, I, again, as I shared with you, I speak to organizations like EO and YPO and WPO and a lot of different companies around the world. And I remember once, um, it actually really dawned on me when I was in Australia a couple of years ago and I was sitting with a group of uh, very, very successful entrepreneurs after an event. They took me out to dinner. It was 11 o'clock at night, and we went on a fourth glass of wine, I think, by that time. And I asked a very, very simple question to the, to the four men that were sitting there, and even a couple of their spouses. I asked them, what's your purpose in life? Two people gave me a straight answer, I don't know. One person rambled on for five minutes, which told me he had no idea. And uh, one spouse broke down crying, and the other spouse said, I don't know. And nobody at the table knew. Simple question, what's your purpose in life? And nobody could give me a straight answer. So that's something I help a lot of entrepreneurs figure out. You know, I've, I have one entrepreneur that I coach has created about four or five companies, extremely successful. They're all running on their own. He has somebody reporting to him an hour a week on each company telling, you know, giving an update on what's going on. He, asked, he said to me, Dandapani, what do I do now? Do I start another company? I know exactly where it will be two years from now we'll be having the same conversation. Somebody's going to be running it for me. It's going to be successful. What do I do now with my life? And I think that's the big question because once you know your purpose in life, once you know what you want in life, the greatest thing that you get out of that is you know what you don't want and you know who you don't want in your life. And I can tell you, John, that's the most priceless thing in the world to know what you don't want and who you don't want. Because that goes back to the very first topic that we spoke about. That helps you decide immediately, instantaneously, where to invest your energy. And people don't know where to invest their energy because they don't know what they want. And because they don't know what they want, they don't know what they don't want. And then they put their energy in things and then find out later on through trial and error that was not where I was supposed to invest my energy. Does that make well, sense? Well, it makes huge sense. I, I look at it all, you know, that the clarity of purpose to me is just so important because when we look uh, today, I'm 59, I'm about ready to turn 60. And you know, with health and everything that's going on, uh, I have an expectation that I'm gonna be doing what I'm doing, maybe at different levels, but for the next 25 years, okay? Well, I knew a month that lived up to 125, so you're only halfway there. No, well, and, and with the medical, you know, we got to stay healthy in the next 10, 15 years. The medical advancements that are coming are just unbelievable on human longevity. And when you start thinking about this, and that's where I, I go, you know, and I say, geez, the, that whole focus, if I've got another 25 years of really being productive, 
what do I want to do? <laughs> you know, I, and this is where, you know, understanding that clarity of purpose. What is that dent? As Stephen Jobs talks about, the dent in the universe that you want to make. And then, okay, who do I need on my team? Who do I want to be involved? How do I want to build a business that generates a quality of life for all stakeholders, my, uh, in my own enlightened self-interest, my own? And, and once you start getting this, I, I, I'll tell you, I, I found this to be so freeing compared to when you're you know, just running, you know, whether it's Silicon Valley, New York, uh, you know, any major uh, business center, and you're running so hard. Uh, and you really don't know why other than chasing money. And uh, boy, you, you, you know, it's, I, I say this often that you know, so often people trade their, you know, their health, their youth for money. And then as we get older, we're trading our money to try to buy health back. And you know, it's, so it's crazy. a crazy <laughs> life. You know, when we look at this life purpose, the clear really getting clear this is something that's not you know it doesn't come to you instantly it's it's a thought it's a journey there's you know um it's so easy to get caught up in the entrepreneurial fog how do you help your clients and if i go through this and you know get clarity you know it's i'm thinking it's not that fifth or sixth glass of wine that all of a sudden shows up <laughs> i wish it wasn't i have bottles of wine in my house <laughs> But, you know, before, before we touch that, I, I also want to bring on one point on something you mentioned here. You said, you know, okay, the next 25 years, you see yourself doing this, John. But my question as well is, what happens after that? So your life purpose should really carry through your entire span of your life. From the moment you're born till the moment you die, it should hold strong. And I tell entrepreneurs, your life purpose should never be dependent on anything or anyone and I'll give you an example. Uh, last year, I took a group of entrepreneurs to the Himalayas. We did an 11-day retreat. We went trekking up in the mountains with Sherpas. We were camping up there. Um, and the whole theme of the retreat is, what's your purpose in life? And at one point, I had this uh, entrepreneur, very successful man, come up to me and says, I found my life purpose up in the mountains in the Himalayas. So he said, my purpose in life is my business, my, my wife, my children, and my business. And I said to him, that cannot be your purpose. And he goes, why? I said, what if someone came up to you and offered you X amount of dollars for your company? Would you sell it? He said, for the right amount, I will. So that's gone. So now you've got two left, right? Your wife and your children. And I said, God forbid if something did happen to them, like plane crash or something, and they were gone. Now what's your purpose in life? You don't have a purpose in life. And I think what ends up happening to people, I'll use uh, my grandmother as an example, because I think this is a really important point to emphasize uh, she, she's 90 years old. She just turned 90 in, in good health. She got married at 18, uh, had eight children, I think about 21 or 23 grandchildren and great-grandchildren and more, right? Her whole life was devoted to her husband. And when her husband died about 14 years ago, it's almost like she lost her purpose in life. And this is what more will happen to most entrepreneurs and their spouses. Entrepreneurs focus on their business, but they know they're not always going to be doing that. At some point in their life, they're either going to sell their business or, or just stop, you know, because they're not going to do this their whole life. Then what? Then what do you do then? If you don't have a purpose, there's no focus and drive in your life of all that energy. And here's the other thing that entrepreneurs should think about is their spouse. Quite often, the spouse supports the husband, in the case of where the man is the entrepreneur, 
And she looks after the children. She looks after the husband, supports him as he develops the company. The company gets to a certain place where it's doing really well. And, you know, he doesn't really fully need her support anymore. The children go to college. And all of a sudden, she's left alone going, what's my purpose now? And I see this to be a huge problem in the entrepreneur world. And I've actually met so many families where it's a train wreck waiting to happen in about five or six years when the last child goes to college. Because the wife has no purpose. And all of a sudden, she's not needed by the husband and not needed by the children. And, she's, and that's when the marriage starts to get affected and starts to fall apart. So not only does the entrepreneur need to have a purpose in life, but also the spouse as well. No, it, it is. And this is something that I'm going to encourage everyone to really spend some time on because it's, it is so powerful and, it, and it, it does provide clarity because every day I'm looking, you know, I'm going to go back to your vampire, you know, does that fit my life purpose? No. Not at all. I mean, it's so easy to make decisions once you get clarity of the direction you're going. And it's so much distraction and noise out there. Without that, you're going to set yourself up for failure. You know, I was very clear, fortunately for me, at about four or five years old, knowing what my purpose in life was, right, or is. And, and that's really helped me make, helps me make decisions every day in my life between choosing who and what I want to engage with. And to me, that's priceless. So I always tell entrepreneurs, put it number one on your list, figure out what your life purpose is, and that will help you manage your energy and help you give you clarity on where to focus your energy as well throughout the day. Yeah, it is such a powerful lesson. Let me go to the next segment, which is resources. And what I'd love to do, let me pull up your website. And you know, how would somebody, you know, one of our fellow entrepreneurs, if they want to reach out to you and you know, find out about what you're doing? Um, I've got a picture of an elephant here and uh, some guys scrubbing it down. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about these spiritual tools for life. Yes, spiritual tools for life. Uh, I'll be launching an online course on meditation. It's called Introduction to Meditation. It's a 12-week course and you can... Uh, discover that on www.learn.dandapani.org and I'm sure John will throw it out on the screen. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, the other place you can also visit is just my main website, which is dandapani.org. That's D-A-N-D-A-P-A-N-I.org. And on there you can uh, find out about these retreats that I do. I do a couple of them a year and they're called Spiritual Adventures. Uh, take entrepreneurs like yourself to different parts of the world. We usually go to somewhere really remote where you can, and each uh, retreat, I should say, is, has a theme, whether it's life's purpose or something like that. And we spend 10 to 11 days to be up in the Himalayas or in the jungles in India or in Cambodia or Indonesia, focusing on growth. And it's time away from your phone, from your spouse, your family. It's an intense time. We call it Monk 101. Oh, and I, I tell you the one thing. Uh, I did look at the pictures of your previous ones, and there looked to be an awful lot of happy people on that journey. And they were having a, they not only learning, but enjoying themselves very well. One of the rules, we have one rule on the trip, and that is everybody needs to have a great time. And, and we follow the teaching that my teacher taught me that uh, life is meant to be lived joyously. And that's something I always keep in my mind, that life is meant to be lived joyously. And I think, you know, as entrepreneurs, we, like you, we were talking earlier, John, that we can get so bogged down in the work that we're doing and pursuing our goals and trying to attain them that 
we forget that life is meant to be lived joyously. And if you're not living life joyously, all the money in the world that you make, you can never buy that joy back, you know, 20 years from now or 10 years from now. Well, I, I, to me, that's one of the most important points. You've, you've made so many of them, but that's, uh, to me, critical is that as entrepreneurs, we are so privileged. We have so much to be you know, grateful for. And what a shame if we don't design our life to live joyously. You know, it's just so important. One point I think which would be really great, helpful, I think, to your audience. I had an entrepreneur ask me recently, down the pony, how much is enough? You know, is it 1 million? Is it 10 million? Is it 50 million? And I said, you're asking the wrong question. The question should be, not how much is enough. I truly believe in making as much money as possible because I believe with wealth we can do a lot of good in the world. So make as much money as you want to make. The question here is, at what point do you start compromising the things and people that you love in the pursuit of that extra? And when you hit that point where you're compromising energy and time with the people and things that you love to pursue that little extra, that's when you know you've gone too much too far. Uh, that and always use that as a I'm looking down at my notes and you know I want to start with what we ended really the you know life is to be lived and as entrepreneurs so often it's easy and you know, with all the pressure and everything else that we focus on satisfying everyone else but yes. not living a life on purpose and this is critical. Number one we talked about was managing energy. You know, not time, energy. Be very yes. conscious. You know, download you know, from the uh, interview. We can go ahead and you can download at AES Nation, uh, the transcript, the show notes, all the links. And there's so many pearls of wisdom that uh, Dan Apane has uh, that shared and, and that we want to put in the life. Number one, I'd say, is managing energy. Second is concentration, and you know I, I gave some examples of how I'm doing it, but uh, this is, no matter how you do it, you've got to make time for this because it's so easy not to stay focused, and we know with this, you know, having that, directing the energy that you have and other resources that you have, your teammates and so on, you can have so much success. Big number three is that life purpose, you know, clarity of purpose, why you're doing it. We're all on this journey together. You know, it may change over time. You can evolve, but what are you looking to do? How are you going to make a difference? Both, you know, why you're here and when you're not. I mean, and, and we as entrepreneurs just have so many opportunities. You know, the one thing I'm going to ask everyone to do is go out Go to the show notes, aesnation.com. Make sure, you know, if you're watching a podcast, subscribe to it. Uh, any reviews would be great. And then, but the big thing is execute. Put these three life lessons in place. You will not be disappointed. Your clients, your future clients, and your family, they're all counting on you. Do not let them down. All the best of success. Exceptional remarkable breakthroughs aesnation.com